And we will continue on in the book of Daniel. Uh, and we'll take Daniel chapter 6, uh, these last couple of weeks. I wanted to get through uh, Daniel chapter 6. And, and actually then it's a good time to kind of take a, a pause uh, uh, because starting with chapter 7 to the end, it gets wild. And there's all kinds of things happening. And so I'll take the easy part. And, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll do Daniel chapter 6. I'll read verses 1 through 28, the whole chapter. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the history. And, and notice a few things. When we take an entire chapter, we can't hit on every little point along the way. But there are a few things uh, that we will draw out of here. Uh, so let me read. It's Daniel chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom the satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the documents and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. 
and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that, uh, that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signets and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions, As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servants of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be, uh, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak truth and encouragement to us. And we pray that as we look at this passage that your truth will grow in our hearts and that we will love you even more. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you ask anybody about the book of Daniel, what do you know about Daniel? This is probably the first thing that you'll hear 99.9% of the time. Daniel in the lion's den. It's the most famous part of the book, and we've heard a lot about it. There are some things, however, that we don't know historically. One of them is right at the very beginning, this Darius. 
is who is Darius? And I just want to give us a little bit of history on this because this sometimes becomes a stumbling point to some. Because there is no Darius outside of Scripture that we know of by that name anyhow. So some, especially the skeptics, will say, well, there was no Darius. And probably the whole thing was made up and they'll date Daniel at a later time and they do all kinds of things uh, just because uh, they don't know of this Darius, so it must be made up. And that's what the skeptics will say. But let's take a look at who he might be. Now, elsewhere in the Old Testament, uh, and specifically in Isaiah 45, uh, verse 1, I believe, uh, we were told that it was Cyrus, or Cyrus the Persian, who liberated God's people from uh, Babylonian captivity. But here we have Darius, and as I mentioned, there's no real record of a Darius at that time outside of the Bible. But there are three views, at least three, there's actually more, but there's three that I really like that I'm just going to share with you uh, to kind of explain uh, Darius a little bit. And, and the first view is simply that we don't know who he is that he had a very short rule and his name never really got written down that we've come across yet. And if you think that's weird, well, there in the ancient records, there's lots of gaps. We're always finding out about new leaders at certain times because there's many holes that still need to be filled in. So that really isn't all that strange. And we accept it in other parts of history that there's some... We just don't know where they came from or where they ruled or how. There's another uh, thought that I like as well, that Darius is actually Cyrus. Um, the ages would match. Uh, you notice in, in at the, right at the end of chapter 5, uh, he's 62 years old, and that would be about the same age as Cyrus, actually. Uh, if that is the case, uh, then when you get to verse, uh, what is it here? Verse 28, uh, if, as I read right at the end, uh, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, and it says, and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Hebrew is a very fluid language, and that could technically, if you wanted to, be read during the reign of King Cyrus, that is the reign, uh, I'm sorry, of King Darius, uh, that is the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Uh, that happens in the Hebrew language sometime. We just put and because technically it is and, but it could be read, that is. So the reign of Darius, that is Cyrus. So there is that possibility. Uh, there's also, historically speaking, uh, a guy who's known by a few different names. Uh, we do have Babylonian record of a guy named Gabaru or Ugbaru. Uh, a Greek historian calls him Gabirus. Um, and that name is close enough in the original languages that that could be Darius. Uh, so it could be that. There's three real good questions. The bottom line is this, though, for the skeptics. Do you believe the Bible or not? Uh, scripture, to some, 
is guilty until proven innocent. Uh, if we had this problem outside of the Bible, it would be no problem at all. Because any of these three, and there are more options, are actually pretty good options. And for historians, really not enough to trip us up. So while we don't know exactly who Darius is, and I'll just call him king, um, we know he's here. And Daniel gives some specifics about him. He gives us an age. He gives us a father. Uh, that's later on. So he's quite specific that there is this guy, Darius, but he's king. And we've had this reoccurring theme of kings in Daniel of insecurity, and we're going to see that a little bit with Darius here. Uh, he sets up this leadership. He doesn't want to suffer loss. He's got the best guys in place. Uh, we see that in verses 2 and, and 3. And, and Daniel has this excellent spirit in him. He's going to give the kingdom, the whole kingdom, it says, to Daniel because he is the most reliable, the most trustworthy, and the most wise, apparently, of all of these leaders. But this doesn't set well with the others that could be leaders. Now, if they were truly caring about the king or the kingdom or the people in the kingdom, they would be happy that here is this guy who is wise and honest and seems to have all the qualities of a great leader. They would be happy that someone like Daniel is there and going to take over the kingdom. But they're not. They've got some issues. They've got some real pride issues going on. And they, they see a problem right away. We can't get Daniel because he's bad. He doesn't do anything bad. So we can't get him because he's bad, so we'll get him because he's good. We'll get him because he's faithful to his God. That will be our angle here. So they get this plan together, and you, you have to stop for a minute and, and just ask the question now. They've got this pride. That's their issue. Do they really have anything against Daniel's God because they really don't. They don't. They're not necessarily opposed to Daniel's God, but they just have this pride. They want to be leaders. They don't want this guy to be the leader. And you notice in this how quickly Satan can use pride or this desire for worldly glory to turn people against God, even though that wasn't their original intention. They didn't set out to destroy Daniel's God. They just had this pride, and Satan twisted it, and now they're opposed to God. They've made themselves enemies of God. This is why we have so many stern warnings in Scripture about pride and putting down pride and fleeing from pride because Satan can twist it so quickly and make us enemies of God. And that's what they have done. 
So they go to the king. They've hatched this plan. They're going to go to the king. We can't get Daniel because he's bad. We'll get him because he's good. He's faithful to his God. So they have this king sign this petition. Here's what we're going to do. Anybody that worships anything else, any man, any God, for the next 30 days gets thrown into this den of lions. Now, they're all there except Daniel, and that's notable. Daniel isn't there. Even though Daniel is the most trusted, the king never really seeks him out, which is also strange and notable. Here's the guy who's going to give the whole kingdom to, and he doesn't stop to think, wait a minute, Daniel's not here. I should probably ask him what he thinks about this. And we can speculate a little bit and say, well, why would he do that? Well, I think when we see the words of these presidents and satraps and counselors, we can get our answer. He loves their flattery. It's false flattery. They're not really all that concerned about him. They've got ulterior motives that he can't see, but he likes what he hears from them. He's got his own pride issue going on, and it prevents him from seeking good counsel, which is another good reason we need to humble our pride and subdue our pride. It will prevent us, if someone's flattering us, it will prevent us from seeking good counsel. And that's exactly what happens to the king. And he signs this injunction, this document that cannot be revoked according to the Medes and the Persians. And he signs it. And Daniel, in verse 10, he hears of it being signed, that this document uh, signed. And he goes to his house uh, where he had windows in the upper chamber, and it's toward Jerusalem, and he gets on his knees, and he prays. Three times a day, he prays. He gives thanks to his God, as he's done previously. Now, there's another little historical note, actually a, a, a prophecy note. The prophet Jeremiah had earlier prophesied that Israel would be restored after 70 years in exile. And we assume that Daniel knows that prophecy. And here's the thing, that 70 years as we get to this point in time is almost up. We're almost at that point where God had promised through the prophet Jeremiah that they would return, a remnant would return. And the question that we, I like to ask, for Daniel, does this make sense to risk his life right now for this? And just follow me, think this through. First of all, this 70 years is almost up, and he probably knows about that. Maybe not, but probably, most likely he does. And then you think of this, well, he's not asked to worship an idol. He's not told he has to bow down before the king or worship any idol. He's just told he can't worship God. And he's told 
and, and worship publicly. He does this in front of an open window, as he's always done, and it's only 30 days. You know what? He's getting up in age, and what's 30 days in the course of a lifetime? You know, there, there's lots of reasons for Daniel to justify, you know what, I'll just play along for 30 days. This is almost up, and then I'll be out of it. It actually becomes a difficult decision, you would think. You know, there's a story that a, uh, it's actually a, a philosopher, and, and uh, he talks about when he was younger, uh, another guy who was also in philosophy, and, and they had some psychology, that uh, they, they were a little bit in that as well, and, and they would talk philosophy. They'd meet uh, once in a while. I, I, I've told this story before. Uh, they would meet once in a while every couple of weeks and get ice cream and just bat things back and forth and generally argue as philosophers like to do. And, and one time they were, uh, they were uh, debating this idea and, and, the, and the one philosopher said that, that people, uh, the, the decisions you make at, at any certain time always reflects your greatest desire. Any decision you make at that time, always reflects your greatest desire was his point. Well, the other guy wasn't all for that. And, and, and so they kind of went back and forth a, a couple of times about this general idea. Well, they would get ice cream, I mentioned. And, and the, one, the, the one who wasn't sure about this idea, uh, he always got chocolate ice cream. He liked chocolate ice cream far more than he liked vanilla ice cream. And there were only two options. And, and he always got chocolate. So one day, the next time they went out to get the ice cream, he got vanilla ice cream. And as they were leaving the ice cream shop, he said, I just proved you wrong because I really wanted chocolate ice cream. That's my favorite ice cream, but I got the vanilla instead. To which the other philosopher replied, no, you just proved my point. You desired chocolate ice cream but your greatest desire was to prove me wrong. You acted according to your greatest desire. And when we get to Daniel and see his greatest desire, he could have passed time, he could have changed his ways, he could have done something different for 30 days, but Daniel's greatest desire is to walk with God and honor God in all that he does. And so for him, the decision was pr probably pretty easy. And notice he does it humbly. As opposed to the pride of these others, he bows down, he gets on his knees. There's some discipline in this. Three times a day, he prays to God. There's thankfulness in this. His greatest desire is to walk with and honor God. And as I study Daniel, I always have this thought that comes back to me. I would love to be more like Daniel. 
in the decisions he makes and the way he carries himself and the wisdom that he gets. I would love to be more like him. And I end up asking myself the question then, is walking with God and honoring him my top priority? Because that's how I can walk like Daniel. That was his top priority. And that's how I can be more like him. So Daniel's praying. And in verse 11, we see that these guys, they've made this pact. They have this agreement. They find Daniel, and he's doing exactly what they thought he would be doing. He's praying. He's giving thanks to his God, and they come near. They go to the king, little tattletales that they are. They run to the king and tell him what Daniel has been doing. Didn't you sign this injunction, king? For 30 days, no one's supposed to make any petition to any god or man except you. These prideful swindlers have talked the king basically into painting himself into a corner. And they use some pointed language to do it. He's, you know, he's one of the exiles from Judah. Uh, they're, they're trying to uh, diminish him a little bit, and he pays no attention to you. And of course, the king knows better. The king was going to give him the whole kingdom. This is an outright lie, and the king knows that Daniel has paid attention. But it's just this that Daniel cannot go along with. So they try to belittle Daniel. Here, he's one of the exiles from Judah, and he's paying you no attention, king but you've signed it. You've signed it, and there's nothing you can do. You're backed into a corner. Well, the king isn't happy with this. When you look at the language here in verse 14, he was much distressed. He set his mind to deliver Daniel. There's this there's, there's sense that uh, when they first told him and then they pushed him again that some time had passed. I think maybe he was hoping things would blow over a little bit, but it didn't. Because then they come to him in verse 15 again, know, O king, that it is the law, you have to do this. I kind of get the, the impression that the king kind of put him off for a little while, but they came back to him, come on, king, you got to do something about this, you got to do this right now. And the king's not happy, he's pretty reluctant. In fact, it says distressed, much distressed about what is going on. And here's the thing, the king wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to keep Daniel alive, but he wanted to be king a little more. You know, I can look back on my life and see times where I wanted to do the right thing. I really did. And was even a little distressed that I couldn't do the right thing because... I wanted to be king a little more. I wanted my own way just a little more. And that was my greatest desire. And here's the king. It's not that this is easy for him, but he wants to be a king a little more than he wants to keep Daniel alive as much as he wants to do that. And so the king makes his command in verse 16. Daniel's brought to the den of lions to be thrown in. The king declares to Daniel as he's thrown in, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. 
And I wonder at this point if the king thinks there was any chance. Is there any chance that Daniel lives through this? Now, you may have noticed through this that Daniel isn't saying anything. Daniel's not quoted here at all. As the charges come against him, as the king makes this decree, we hear no word of Daniel, but the king has him thrown in. There's the stone, and, and it's laid in the mouth of the den. It's sealed, and the king goes to his palace and is distressed, spent the night fasting, it says in verse 18. No diversions were brought to him. Sleep fled from him. And then at the break of day, I can just imagine he's waiting for that sun to come up over the horizon. And there it is. And he goes in haste to the den, comes near to where Daniel is. And he cries out in this tone of anguish. You just get this sense of how much he cared. And he spent the night in anguish. And he asks, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And he hears a voice, and it's Daniel. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they've not harmed me. I was found blameless before him and blameless before you. I've done no harm, king, and I'm alive. And the king is exceedingly glad. By the grace of God, this works out for the king. He's exceedingly glad and commands that Daniel be taken up out of the den. He's brought up out of the den. No harm of any kind is found on him because he had trusted in God. And, and so then uh, the king uh, commanded that those who had maliciously accused Daniel in verse 24, that they be brought and they be thrown into the lion's den, them and their children and their wives. And in our minds, we think, you know, these lying swindlers, they should have seen something like this coming. They knew they were forcing the king to do something he didn't really want to do, that there was going to be some retribution. Well, this is big retribution here. They should have seen it coming, and their ending is not as good. Before they reach the bottom of the den, the lions overpower them, break their bones in pieces. And then King Darius writes to the people. Writes to the people about Daniel's God. Peace be multiplied. I make a decree in all my royal dominion. People are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. What's important here is that God is getting glorified in all the earth. Daniel's faithfulness and Daniel's humility leads to God being glorified in all the earth here. This is what Daniel wants. And he got thrown into a lion's den, but look what God does. And what's really neat about this story is there's in it what we call 
a lot of foreshadowing. And, and here's, uh, here's where I want to go with this. This foreshadowing is, is something that happens in the Old Testament that then shows us something about Christ. And we get a lot of that here. And I can't explain all of it, but let me just point out some things of how Daniel foreshadows Christ. First of all, Daniel mentions that he was blameless before God and before the king. There was one in the New Testament who was blameless before God and before the people. We have a ruler who was reluctant to put him to death, but just for the sake of his own skin, does it anyhow. Sentences him to death. We have one who is silent before his accusers. We have a stone rolled in the mouth of the den, and then it's sealed. And that's exactly what happened to the stone in Matthew 27, when they put Jesus in the tomb. There was no harm done to Daniel. And notice a lang the language here. In verse 24, it's a weird statement, unless you kind of put it in terms of the foreshadowing, it talks about the lions who overpowered the, the accusers and their children and wives, overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Not one of Daniel's bones was broken. Not one of Jesus' bones were broken. And we get this weird phrase that helps us see, oh, he's foreshadowing something here. And in verse 23, we get this king who commands Daniel to be taken up. And Daniel is set free because the punishment was executed and he's alive and he can walk away free. And when we think of Jesus, Jesus came to die for us. He said he lays down his life for his sheep. Judgment for our sin was executed. But we walk away free because the judgment has been put out. And we walk away free. And we know Jesus's desire to do the will of his father in fact right up to the point of his arrest he prayed father if there's another way let's do that but not my will your will we know Jesus's greatest desire there and it's to glorify God by dying for his children My prayer is that our greatest desire will be to faithfully and humbly exalt him and walk with God 
for his glory for all of eternity. It is a kingdom that endures forever and shall never be destroyed. And through Christ, he's opened the doors to that kingdom. And that is our greatest desire, to enter God's kingdom and be in his presence. That is my prayer for us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Christ died for our sins. We have shown you our desire at times, our desire for sin. We have no excuse. We have no defense. But we have a Savior whose greatest desire was to save us and glorify you. And we delight in him. May we walk in your ways and give you glory. Increase our love that you may be our greatest desire now and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. And then I'll have you stand. Uh, we can turn to hymn 188. We'll sing verses 1 and 4.